You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The word of the Lord. And please stand for the gospel reading for today from John. A reading reading from the gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it was taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. So I do, before we get into this, just want to thank you, Salem, for the kind of church that you are. I mean... I'm not going to go into all of the details of what's been going on um, here, but I've been able to meet with representatives from the Jewish community in Beacon here at our church. I've been able to meet with members and leaders from the Muslim community here at our church. Uh, A Beacon City Council member came to service this past Sunday and said that she could not believe what a loving group of people we are. And so when people who are not Christians can find safety and solitude in our sanctuary, it's because we're doing a very good job at being the things that God has called us to be. And for that, Jacqueline and I want to thank you for being that kind of church where people in the community could come here and feel safe. 
I'm going to introduce this by way of review. I, uh, I have anxiety today because this sermon this week and next week feel incredibly important to me. Obviously, they're all important, but I feel like the timing of these messages are, and it's just one of those things where, as a pastor, you just hope. Maybe you've had conversations with your own children, and you're like, I know how I feel, and I hope that what I say conveys that to you. And so there's this sense of, Lord, please, like I always pray, between my mouth and their ears, do something better with these words than I've done with them is one of my prayers. And as a pastor and a parent, whenever I'm yelling at my children, Lord, please. But I'm not going to yell at you today. So the Bible says to stir each other up by way of reminder. And so this season of Lent, I don't want us to forget what it is. I'm going to keep reminding us. This season of Lent is not just designed for us to fast and gather to make room for Jesus in our life, but it's to make room for Jesus in our life in such a way that frees us from our anxiety. How many could use a little less anxiety in your life? But also, and with that, makes us the kind of people that when you are in a room, the people in the room with you are less anxious because you're there. We shouldn't just be calm and peaceful ourselves, but we should also be the kind of people who are made in the image of the one who stood up and looked at wind and waves, and the wind and waves said, as long as he's standing, we should sit down. Yes? And Jesus' voice brought calm to the situation. I will tell you for the rest of my entire life, I will be praying that my voice brings calm to a situation, but in front of my own family right here, we're working on it. We're a work in progress. Week one, we talked about holy dependence. How it's not just our sin that ripples through the communities that are part of our life, but it's also our healing that ripples through the communities that are part of our life. When you heal, people around you, their lives get better right away. We know that when we sin, it affects everybody. Even when we sin privately and personally, it affects the people around us because it affects us, and we affect the people around us. But when we heal, our healing also, and I would say because the gospel is good news, even more powerfully, our healing affects the people around us. It's why repentance is so important. Repentance is not just about me being made right with God, but repentance is about how the healing that takes place in my life makes me a portal for healing to happen in the lives of the people around me. It's true. So we talked about holy dependence. Last week, we talked about re, the re-education of our desires. The re-education of our desires. And if you didn't hear these messages, they're, they're online. You can go to our website and, and listen to them. But we talked about last week how the cross is our curriculum, and that because of the cross, we can look at our own bodies and the bodies of those around us. And even if they seem as good as dead, uh, Romans chapter 4, we can know that because of the cross, something good can come from your life, your body, your story, and those same things of the people around you. We don't have to live lives where we feel like God can only work from this moment forward. 
but God can take all of the garbage from the past and make it something worth listening to, and it can show that something good can come from our lives. Not one bit of your life, your story, your sin, or your good deeds will ever be wasted in the kingdom of God. You're welcome. Today, I want to talk about our view of time passing. I want to talk about how we view the passing of time. The line to remember, and Ian can put this up on the screen, it's the only thing I'm going to put up on the screen today. Time past does not have to be time past. Said differently, time that has gone by does not have to be time lost to you. People gone are not lost. Amen? Anthony and I were talking in the office, and we were talking about the church's calendar and how it's centered on Easter and how everything that the church did from the moment the Holy Spirit fell was about Easter. And everything that has built from it built around Easter because Easter is what makes us different. Easter is what makes us Christian. Easter is what makes the Christian faith different than most other faiths. Easter is what makes us unique and significant is that we can look at a tomb and say something can be born here. We can look at the end of something and say not so fast. God can even have a word. God can do something with what is happening in your life. Yes? God can do something with what will happen in your life. And God can do something with what's already happened in your life. My past is closed to me, but it is wide open to the working of God. And he's still God in moments that have gone by for me. <laughs> Just because time is going by does not mean it's being lost. And it doesn't mean it's going by forever. I will tell half a story, and then I will conclude with this story. I was writing this sermon on Monday morning last week. I almost never, ever write these sermons. I, I, I write 95% of my sermons early, early on Sunday mornings. Because all week long just feels like sermon prep. Every funny story, everything I do wrong in my life, it just all seems like it's part of what goes on in the sermon. But this sermon hit me, I woke up on Monday morning writing. I woke up and I was writing this week and next week's message. And while I was writing it, I hear my two-year-old son, Theo, call me from his room. And I go in there, and he's holding both hands up in the air, and he says, Daddy, huggy. And I pick him up, and you just feel little hands. They wrap around my neck. And this is before he really starts his day, so he's awesome at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> and his little cheek all warm from sleeping, pressed up here. And my first thought, and I'm sure like many of us, maybe not in every moment, but my first thought was, man, time is going to take this from me. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm here to tell you today, whoever that was, it's not. My first thought was, time is going to take this from me. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, it's not. And I will tell you what he said after that at the end of this message. Yes. Speaking of waiting and suspense, do you realize the church calendar begins with Advent? 
which is a season of. We always want to start with activity. In business, in health, repairing a relationship. We want to start with something to do. But the church always said, no, waiting is always the best way to start something. So yes, I will in fact make you wait for a little while in the name of our church's traditions. I feel like today's the day we might not want to shout stuff out. I'm just going to throw that out there now. No. So, God, this just feels so much bigger than what we're capable of getting through on, on a Sunday. I don't know why. So, the Ten Commandments, the number one thing we have to know about the Ten Commandments is they're not about rules that individuals are meant to keep, but the Ten Commandments are about what a healthy neighborhood should look like. Okay, so I don't want you to forget that I said that. The Ten Commandments are not about rules that individuals should keep. The Ten Commandments are about what a healthy neighborhood, a healthy community, a healthy home, a healthy church, a healthy town, a healthy nation should look like. Okay? And without getting way into that, um, the, the, the thing that is the most different about the Ten Commandments than what the Jewish people who heard them knew was the Sabbath. Because for 430 years, the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and in Egypt, they were, they were only valued by their production. You're, they were only good if they were literally building pyramids, okay? Okay, and so their only value came in, in their quota of work. It's all they knew for 430 years. So generation after generation after generation, finally by the third, fourth, fifth generation, they're waking up to a world where they are what they produce. That is what slavery is. When you are defined by what you can produce in life. There's nothing more enslaving than being, than thinking that your identity is your last thing that you did. If it was good, your identity's great. And if it was terrible, you, you hate yourself. But they woke up in a world where work was their identity. And when God says, by the way, all these rules, and by the way, one day a week you're not going to do any work, they were like, what does that even mean? Someone's going to hit us. Someone's going to take our kids from us. They're going to throw us in a pit. And God says, no. One day a week, you have to not work. And God was beginning, beginning the re-education of a healthy rhythm between work and rest. But they had no idea what a Sabbath was. And sadly, I think they would look at us right now and say, we have forgotten also what a Sabbath is. Because every spare moment we have, there are right now a polarizing group of people, either people who have time to work and are not, or people who are always trying to be productive in every last waking moment that they have free, not realizing that you are sacrificing your family to Molech. I'm going to calm down for a second. I was flipping through Instagram reels, like every good pastor should. And I came across this young lady on Instagram, and she was on a panel, and she was talking to other women. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here, but I think I'll be okay. But I was offended as a man when I heard what she said. And I know men are never allowed to be offended ever again, but I'm going to break a little bit of PC culture here and say, I was offended, because here's what she said. And all the women in the room clapped. 
She said, if, if you're dating a man and he comes home from work and has time to watch Netflix, he's also, he also has time for a side hustle. And so if he would rather come home from work and he's got time to binge watch sh- some shows on Netflix, he's got time for another job. And if he's watching TV instead of getting another job, ladies, don't be with that man. I was like, what? First of all, you're only talking to people who have time to flip on Instagram right now. So your only popularity is coming from those guys. So chill. Number, I didn't say that. I said it just now, though. I thought of that just now. There's a lot of problem with what she's saying. There's a truth in there. Ladies, you should be married or dating a man who likes to work. You should be with somebody who gets up in the morning and does quality stuff. Am I wrong? You should be with somebody who's motivated and who doesn't let the day hit them, but they hit the day. Yes? But are you really telling me if, 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 this, if this woman's man all of a sudden got that second job, you don't think she would start saying, you don't have time for me? Why aren't you spending more time with our kids? I mean, this sounds a little self-serving in the moment, but I feel like a man or a woman who can get up, go to work, come home, have time, and then invest that time in his or her family is somebody you should be with. If you have time after being responsible to sit down and watch a movie with your family, that is being productive. If you know how to rest and not have the anxiety of work wreak havoc in your mind, you are a healthy person. If there can be work that you should be doing, and once in a while you're able to not do that work to enjoy yourself, that is a healthy thing. Watch this. How many believe God could do everything in one day that he ever wanted to do? How many days did it take him to create the world? Six. Could he have done it all in one? Yes. So God put off till tomorrow what he could have done today because resting is vital. Just because there's work to be done doesn't mean that you should do it all. Because being with people and being restful is work that needs to get done. Being busy because life has made it so that you can't rest, that is not a Sabbath violation. And I want every person right now to hear me. If your life has happened in such a way where you can't take time off, where you can't slow down, where you can't, I'm not saying you won't, I'm saying you can't do those things. It is not a violation of the Sabbath. It's a violation of the Sabbath if you are working to save yourself from how you would feel if you rested. If life is making it so that you have to work two jobs to make ends meet because milk costs $875, if that's what you're doing, that is not wrong. But if you are the kind of person who thinks that winning is accomplishing everything all the time and making more and more and more way past what you need because your image is valued by what you produce, I'm telling you right now, time will always feel like it's slipping through your fingers. Because you're not taking time, time is taking you at that point. So there are people who, because of the injustice of the world around us, have to work 80 hours a week. Have to work and then come home and keep on working. But there are other people who really honestly think winning is 
working as much as you can to make as much as you possibly can with delusions that one day when you retire, you'll finally relax. No, you won't. So Jesus enters the temple, and he starts flipping tables. And I want to argue that he wasn't turning tables upside down. He was turning upside down tables right side up. Because what was happening in the temple was production. There was buying and there was selling. There were selling sacrifices. There were money changers. There was currencies coming in. And, and the, 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 the temple has now become a place of commerce. It's become the, the moment, it's become an area where there's, there's profit to be made, not prayers to be prayed. And Jesus walks in there and he disrupts that. Why? Because Jesus is the true and better Moses who's come to save his people from the true and greater Pharaoh, which is Satan. And Jesus walks into the temple and he sees people making periods, pyramids, not people making tabernacles. And he sees at the end of that sentence a period. This is what we do. This is who we are. And I've said this all the time. He removes the period and puts a comma and says, you are not just your production. You are not just the thing that's happening to you. You're more than that. Because what's happening here? They're in the temple making pyramids. And people are being excluded from their community. You've made my house a den of thieves, but it was meant to be a house of prayer for all people. When we are being overly productive, we are pushing people out of our life who need to be there, but can only be there if we are settled in ourselves. Workaholism is as bad as alcoholism is. Because both of them push people out. And there's only room for people like you. So much more to say there that I'm not going to. Here's what I want to point out, and here we go. The clue, what struck me, was the very first word in what Eric read in the gospel text. The very first word. The Passover of the Jews. The Passover. We feel like time is going by. Every birthday of our children, we're like, oh my gosh. Every Christmas, oh my gosh, it's here again, right? Every anniversary, how we've been married for 13 years, how we've been married for 45 years, how we've been married for 50 years. Oh my gosh, that person that I lost in my life, they've been gone for, it feels like just yesterday they died, but they've been gone for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Like, we're just watching time. It feels like it's taking from us. And here comes Jesus, and it says this, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Why is that significant? Because, and hear me, and maybe... Don't write anything down. Just listen. The liturgy of the church is what allows us to go back to time past and see it new again. The liturgy of the church is what allows us to go back to time past and see it new again. 
Every time Advent comes around, we get back to Advent again, and we say, man, it just feels like just yesterday that it was Advent. But we come back to the same old thing again. Every year we go back to Advent, we go back to Lent, we go back to Easter, we go back to Pentecost, back to Advent again. And every time we do, every time we see more candles on the cake, every time we have an anniversary, we're going back to the same things, but we're different And when we look at the same thing, but we see ourselves as different, we're seeing what time has blessed us with. We're seeing what God has done between the last time and now. Yes? And so the church's liturgy is the way that Christians go through time without time being taken from us. We revisit it. Why do I say this? Because Jesus died on the cross between 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. Why does the Bible even go to say what time he died? Here's why. Because Jesus didn't just die in time. He died for time the way that he died for you. Jesus didn't just show up in time. He showed up to time to heal time the way that he wants to heal you. How many have been healed by God? How many say, I'm different now than when I first met Jesus? Time should be also. He wants to heal the way time works in our minds. Jesus shows up during Passover. Why is that important? Why does that even matter? It matters because Jesus didn't go to the cross during the Day of Atonement. Jesus didn't go to the cross during the Feast of Firstfruits. If he went to the cross during Firstfruits, the cross would be about making money. The Jews had a feast called First Fruits, yes? If Jesus died on the cross, the cross would be about making money. And we've never heard sermons about the cross and our finances before, have we? We've never heard any preacher say he died on the cross so that when you invest your money, it will, like, we've never heard this before, right? There's been no such thing as a prosperity gospel, right? That has turned the cross into a slot machine, like, we've never heard this before? Because if Jesus died during the, the feast of First Fruits, then that's what it would be. Ready for me to get a little more scandalous? Jesus didn't die during the Day of Atonement. Because if he did, that would make the cross about mine and your personal sins. But it's not. He died during the Feast of Passover, which is about deliverance. It's about deliverance. He died during Passover because he's Moses, and Satan is Pharaoh, and death is the taskmaster, and Jesus was bringing us through the Red Sea of his own flesh, and he was delivering us from evil. It's more than just the forgiveness of my sins. It's deliverance from the power that made me sin in the first place, amen? If it's just, if the day of atonement without Passover is useless, that's why, that's why the Bible says, Jacqueline read this, It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do you notice that God says that first before he gives a rule? He says, I delivered you. You have salvation. Now I'm going to give you rules. He doesn't say, here are the rules, and if you follow them, you'll have salvation. He says, I've already saved you. Now I'm giving you a new life to live. But we have reversed it, and we've made it about following rules in order to get saved when he saved us so that we have the ability to follow rules anyhow. 
While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly, yes? We make people have to confess all of their sins and get their life right before we'll baptize them, before they'll be able to be able to come to the Lord's table. And that's wrong because he says, I delivered you already when you were still in, sl- in slavery. I delivered you. Now that you're saved, let's talk about how we're going to live. Mary, the two Marys on Easter Sunday, they show up at the tomb. They show up at the tomb on Sunday. Everybody say Sunday. Why didn't they show up on Saturday? Because it was the? Because they had a liturgy. And their liturgy told them you're not allowed to do anything on Saturdays. But they had all these spices because they wanted to anoint Jesus' dead body before he started to smell. If they broke from liturgy, they would have anointed a dead thing. But because they followed liturgy, They saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ because liturgy is God's way of putting us in the right time at the right time for the right time. Every how many Pentecostals do we have in the room? How many people grew up Pentecostal? And suddenly there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, right? And there appeared upon everybody's head cloven tongues of fire and they spoke in tongues and gave glory to God. Yes. But do you know what it says before that? How many people love the suddenlies of God? And suddenly there was. Yes, we love this. Sometimes I need him to suddenly give my kids better behavior, right? I'd love a suddenly. But before that, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. But the suddenly didn't come first. The Holy Spirit waited until a liturgical moment When the day of Pentecost had come, then there was a suddenly. Because the suddenlies of God only happen in his time, and we get to his time by following the liturgical time. Do you see that? Acts chapter 3, verse 1. E, do you have that? I can't remember. Okay. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Do you see what it says there? They were going to the temple not to pray. They were going to the temple when? At the hour of prayer. There was a time when Jews went to the temple to pray. It was 3 p.m. when you study this out. They went at 3 p.m. because that's when prayer happened. And I, I don't, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but does any, we know what happens. There's a man who can't walk waiting at the doors to the temple, yes? And he says, do you have money? And Peter says, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk, yes? Do you know why that man put himself where he put himself? Because he knew people show up at 3 p.m. Because he, in his sick body, was following the liturgy knowing there's a chance I could get something if I come to the temple at 3 p.m. And if Peter and John were like, hey, we should just go spontaneously pray, they would have shown up at 12 p.m. And guess who wouldn't have been there? But because they followed liturgical time, they walked right into their purpose and their destiny. And because the crippled man followed liturgical time, he walked right into his. And I say that pun intended. He leapt right into his. Why is it? All right, good, good, good points, Pastor. But why is that? What does that have to do with me feeling like time is being taken from me? Because it is the existence of the church's liturgy. And I'm talking specifically from a Christian perspective here. 
It is the existence of our time, the church's time, that is the way in which Jesus remains in secular time healing it. So, if we don't have the Christian liturgy, birthdays will feel like years passing. But if we have the Christian liturgy of baptism, we know that birthdays are just reminders that we've been born again. Do you see that? And they stop being so depressing. (laughs) And they start reminding us that we've been born again, that this tent that is fading away is shedding so that a more eternal tent can live forever, yes? Without the liturgy of the Sabbath, vacations, and I'm assuming none of us have ever felt this way before, but without the liturgy of the Sabbath, vacations will feel like things we need vacations from when they're over. Jacqueline and I get home from vacation, and we're like, okay, uh, hey, mom and dad, can you keep the kids so we can go back? Me and a bunch of my friends, some of whom are in this room, Every year, the day after Thanksgiving, we go tree chopping for our Christmas trees. We cut them down. Old school. Nah, we bring chainsaws and stuff. And we go. And every year, all the time, I start texting them, hey, 285 more days until tree chopping day because I'm weird and sick and I keep track of these things. And I realized, why, why am I so obsessed with the seasons? Why am I so obsessed with these things? And I realized, when you go to the tree farm... There are three kinds of people there, and this matters for what I'm talking about right now. Person one is the person who doesn't want to be there, but he's been captured and forced by his family to be there, and so he's getting through this so that he can get home and watch football. That's never me on this one day, I promise you. That is me on like every other day that there's football, but on this day, I'm there because I want to be. Then, and this is most of us, there are people there intensely celebrating Christmas tree chopping day with, and listen, you got to go, in ways that are outrageous because they're living under this. We better do this now because we never know when we'll be able to do this again. So we have to try to get it in now because it could be taken from us. But it dawned on me while I was writing this message that as Christians, we join our secular traditions, not because we have to, and not because we're trying to have it now because it may be taken, but we're going to all of these things that we do to remind each other that time gone will be given back to us, and that everything we do will matter forever, and that in Christ, every memory we are making is a memory that will deeply influence us even if these things are taken. It's a reminder that Easter, deep in our hearts, Easter has to be something we think about every day, not a day of church that we're obligated to go to once a year. Because, and I'm beginning to close, in the Eucharist, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Until Jesus said that, or if we don't hear Jesus say that, memories are really funerals testaments to what has gone that we cannot get back. But when Jesus, when God stepped into memory, memories go from funerals to Easter's. 
They go from a testament to things that are gone that we can't ever get back, and they transform into promises of what God is going to do in the future. In the Eucharist, we recognize that time is a circle and not a line. That the way we remember, we don't remember things to prove that they're in the past. We remember things to remind ourselves that nothing is lost to God. So I'm standing there hugging my son. And it hits me. This is going to be gone soon. He's not going to want to hug you like this forever. Thank you. Sophia just said she will. Remember you said that. Remember you said that. I said, this is going to be taken from me. And the Holy Spirit said, he won't hug you like this forever. But what this hug means for him will work on him for the rest of his life. It's going to influence the way he views the world. It's going to influence the way he understands love. It's going to influence who he is as a man. When the world is saying that as a man he has to only be strong, this hug is going to show him that he can be weak and say, I need a huggy sometimes. Yes? The hug will never go away. It cannot be taken. Weeping over the loss of that moment would be the same as holding a seed in your hand and weeping over the fact that you have to plant it because you're going to miss it. But what it will grow into is so much more than the seed that you planted. And Easter and the Eucharist and the words of Jesus remind us that everything that we have done that has gone is becoming a seed in the hand of God that we will live in its fullness one day. He will become that hug he won't just have them from me. He will become the kind of man formed by hugs like that. And you might be saying, well, you know what, Pastor? Cool. Glad you're getting that lesson now. My kids are old or they're gone now. And I'm telling you, when we say, our Father who art in heaven, we are talking to a God who even if people in your life have been taken from you, he can still hug them that way, and it can still have that same effect, and it will still work on them exactly the same way. That is what we believe, and it should affect the way that we see time. Time is not stealing from you. Time is being fulfilled in the faith that you have in Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to embrace our mortality, to embrace the fact that we're going to pass away. But we couldn't do that before we talked about the liturgies of the church declare to you and your soul and the world around you what you believe to be true about time. I heard somebody say this. They said, when the women looked into the empty tomb, the angel said, he is not here. He's gone to Galilee. And he said, in the same way, people should drive by, people should knock on your door on a Sunday morning. And an angel should answer the door and say, they're not here. They've gone to church. Because when we get up on this day and we come here on this day, it's not just a spiritual discipline. It's not just a good thing to do. It is a declaration of what we believe to be true about time. And it's how we are the body of Christ laying hands on time and healing it. 
when we get up and these lights come on and those doors open, something happens to time. Time is getting healed in that moment. And for some of you who are very mystical, you love what I'm saying. And for some of you who are very practical, this may feel like it's not relevant, but I promise you deeply, I promise you it is. That we, but, but healing can only come when we're aware. And so we need to be aware of our need to see time differently. It's not just passing away. It's heading toward a new beginning because God bends it into a circle. So we hear constantly, especially if you follow reels on Christian Instagram, which is maybe one of the worst things to ever do in the history of the world. Sometimes it's funny, but some, most of the time it's terrible. You have people telling you these are the end times, these are the end times, the end times, this war is the end times, this president is the end times, this is the end times. And everyone who's ever said that in the history of the world has been wrong because you can't have end times with a God who's timeless. He bends it into a circle where the, if you're declaring it's the end, it's also the beginning because he's the God who declares the end from the... So when you read, let there be light, that's the beginning, but it's also the declaration of the end at the same exact time. So people want to say, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? He declares the end from the beginning. So go read the beginning, and that will tell you how it's going to end. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's how it's going to end. And he made man in his image. That's how it's going to end. It's going to end the way it started because he declares the end from the beginning. So all of this fear tactics of bombs and nuclear this and it's going to be horrible. It, he declared the end from the beginning already. In Genesis 1, he tells us how it's going to end. And God hovered over the chaos and said, let there be light. And he entered it himself. That's how it's going to end. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, speaking as somebody who needs this prayer, in a world of so much death and so much awareness of it, it feels scary sometimes, Father God, how quickly the days go by. I'm praying for anyone who lays down at night and thinks another day has gone so fast. How many more do I have left? Father God, I pray that you would open our mind to understand that we are not moving toward an end. We're moving toward a place where there can't be ends or beginnings because there's only Jesus. We're moving toward a place where the tomb is not the final word. Where sickness is not the final word. Where wars cease and the wolf lies down with the lamb. Where there's only plowshares and not swords. There's only cultivating and no rush. where there's process more than productivity. 
But your word says that it is the fear of death that causes us to sin. And it may just be that our lack of patience in how we treat each other comes from our awareness that we don't know how much time we have. So Lord, I pray for every situation reflected in this room that no one would feel the need to have to rush through it. I pray that everyone who's going to leave here today and sit down with somebody, eat a meal, go sit outside on this beautiful day, that when those thoughts rise up, you might not have this for too much longer. You might not be able to walk through the neighborhood the way that you are right now. The person you're holding hands with could be gone soon. I pray that we wouldn't rebuke those thoughts, but we would minister to those thoughts. That we would share the gospel with those thoughts. That we would preach to those thoughts and bring salvation to those thoughts that although time might go by, it will never pass away. It will never be lost. It will change shape for a while and then it will come into its fullness on the great and awesome day of the Lord. When you come back, not to destroy what you have lovingly created, but to heal it, to restore it so that there's a new heavens and a new earth that births out of this one. Whatever this means to anybody today, Father God, I pray that it would lessen our anxieties about time passing, that we would see this gift we have in the church of Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, not as religious obligations, but as the way in which you're healing us and healing time and sanctifying time. These seasons are the way that time itself touches the hem of your garment and stops bleeding. I pray for anyone in the room who is afraid of dying, that you would just stand in their life with them, that you would allow them to enter into the empty tomb and to look around and realize he is not here. Why do you search for the living among the dead? I pray that we would have a healthy reverence for what death is. I pray that we would number our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom, as the psalmist says. I pray that we would be wise with the time that we have, that we would walk soberly in the world around us, that we would feel the truth of what we should be feeling when it's grief, that we would grieve, when it's celebration, that we would celebrate when it's confusion, that we would do what your disciples do and go into the room and ask you, what do these things mean, Father God? When it's doubt, that we would be reminded that you'll wait eight days to show up for Thomas. When we look back and we see nothing but our denial of you and the way that we've treated others, may we be reminded that you will meet us on the seashore like you did with Peter. When we feel we've betrayed you, May we be reminded that you will greet us like you did to Judas and say, friend. When we look back and realize we could have parented far better than we did, I pray that we would know what our Father means. 
that you'll show our kids your integrity in what we've done right and in what we've done wrong. And in the way that we say sorry for what we've done. We can show them the heart of the Father. I pray, God, that you would deliver us from the fear of time passing away and help us to enjoy the time we're standing in right now. To be real humans in the time that we're standing in right now. As you've said, Lord Jesus, my time has not yet come, but your time is always at hand. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that we would remember, and I pray that we would say these words to our fear. On the night when he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. So when things feel that they're betraying us, when memories feel they're betraying us, when the fear of time going by feels like it's betraying us, I pray that we would remember on the night when you were betrayed, that you took bread and you gave thanks. And I pray that in those moments where it feels like time is becoming a coffin for us, I pray that we would give thanks and burst out of that moment. That we would give thanks and we would look at what is broken and we would say, this brokenness is none other than the time that God has given me. This is the body of Christ. You invited us to this table and you said, as often as you come, come in memory of me. And we know that these memories of you make memories alive. That these memories of you make memories real. That time doesn't exist in this remembrance of you, but that all of time is united in you. And so, Lord, and and Salem, I I know I'm going long. I want to tell you this, though. I maybe have told this story before, but there was a, a gentleman that my bishop knew that left church because his father died when he was young. And every Sunday, he and his father would have Sunday lunch together after church. And he stopped going to church because church reminded him of what he won't be doing when he leaves church. I won't be having lunch with my dad. And one day, there was a wedding or something, and he came back to church. And they were getting ready to call the, to pray over the Eucharist. And the Holy Spirit told him in that moment, you're going to go up to that priest and you're going to take that bread. And what you can't see is just on the other side of that priest where you cannot see, your father is sitting down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And every time you take Eucharist, you're eating with your father again. He's just on the other side. You're eating together every Sunday. This meal is why we say we join our voices to angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this. And we are joining ourselves with time fully united. Nothing is lost. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you descend on us and make us for the world, the body of Christ, that we might leave here and say, this is my time offered for you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, the ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come to the Lord's table this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.